So um, before I get into that prophecy, it would be a good idea for me to like share some other stuff that happened to me on my journey into the prophetic. So at least it gives some sense of credibility to the word because, you know, I could just be anybody saying anything. So as I said to you, I had that, that Joseph dream before I became a Christian and, um, and that's become more relevant to me going onwards, um, which I'll make reference to a little bit later. But obviously Joseph was there to help the church, the Old Testament Church of Israel, and as well to be a blessing to Egypt, actually. Uh, and he was there to help um, the people of God through a time of great famine. And uh, I believe that we're coming into a time of spiritual famine and financial famine in, in this nation. You know, it's, it's difficult to find a church that preaches the word in some areas in this country. And so there is a famine of the word of God. Uh, and I believe we're heading towards a, a financial famine as well. But I'll, I'll, I'll lead to that in a minute. But I'm just going to share some things that God was, um, well, I, I shouldn't probably say it, but I felt he was a little bit unkind with me how he dropped me into the prophetic because it was, it was quite like right in there. Um, and there was no one that could mentor me. There was no one that could, that could talk to me because, I mean, I come from a, a community church environment where uh, prophecy was EEC, exhortation, encouragement, and consolation. We don't know dates, no mates, no correction, that. Yeah, so, but unfortunately, all the prophetic words I got were of that type, and, and that, was the pro <laughs> that was the problem. Um, and so no one really quite knew how to handle me at the time. Um, so the, the prophetic, so um, let's have a look. So it, it kind of started, I started getting these weird dreams after about five years of marriage, I started getting these weird dreams. And to start with, I was trying to ignore them, but they just wouldn't leave. And then I, I because of the nature of them, I realized that it was, a, it, these were from God. Um, and so then I paid more attention to them and, and understood the meaning. And, the, and there's things that God has showed me then, which are only just now coming to pass. So the thing is with prophecy is, you know, we have this kind of, uh, chicken ding kind of Christianity. You put the chicken in the microwave, two minutes later, ding, it's done, right? And we think the same with prophecy. We don't think that Abraham's prophecy, you know, he was prophesied to five times and he worked that out for the rest of his life. I don't think many charismatics could cope with five prophecies and work that out for the rest of their life. You know, like, oh, I've done it for a year now. Have you got another prophecy for me, Lord? Um, and so things take time. And that's one thing I need to express here because a lot of people think, why hasn't it happened yet? It's like, no, these things just take time. And, and I've been sitting on a lot of these words for a while. Now, um, my kind of introduction to the prophetic kind of began, I said, with some dreams. And then I was working at this company called Bank Check. And, uh, and then God just told me really clearly, this company is about to collapse. And I want you to tell the managing director. I was like, oh, no. Um, <laughs> So I, I booked an appointment with the managing director and it's, it's quite common, comical really. He was on this really, was on this really long big tables, right? And he was up high and I was down low. Right? It's, just, it's just something out of like a bad film. And uh, he was like, so what is it you want to tell me? And I was like, okay, uh, I know you think this is crazy. He said, but I'm a Christian and I believe God speaks today. And he's like, yeah. And I said, I said you're taking a big gamble with this company. I said, and it's gonna, uh, God told me it's gonna collapse. And he went, oh, no, 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 you've got that completely wrong. Everything's absolutely fine. And then he went, went on to tell me about how he believes in reincarnation and stuff. And that was the end of that meeting. Um, but 
the manage, but he had a board around the managing director and this this board i mean i don't know what was going on but they were saying chris we've got we've got problems can you pray for us you know uh, and so i prayed for them and then about two weeks later we're all just working away and then in comes the managing director and all the other you know people on the board coming in they say everyone down your tools please the company has just gone bust um, please stop what you're doing and that was the end of that company so that was kind of like my <laughs> introduction to the prophetic which is not what i was taught which is Exhortation, encouragement, <laughs> and consolation. Okay, so it's just, it just really wasn't fair. Um, I had lots of other things where I had lots of words and knowledge for people, but things, the thing that really kind of, God really upped the scale for me was uh, in 2006. He, he, I, w I went downstairs to pray and I fell into three trances, and that sounds a bit weird, but it's in the Bible. Uh, Peter falls into a trance with a big thing, sheep comes down with us, so it's not a weird thing. Yeah. Um, so I fell into a trance and in the first trance I was driving a truck and I was looking in the rear view mirror and I could see this volcano and it exploded and there was a pyroclastic flow down the side and it was coming straight towards the van so I put my foot down to get away from it. Then the next, and I woke up, then the next, the next vision I was in, um, in what looked like a village and the lava flow was coming down into the village and then there was another vision which sort of repeated again. So I got the same picture three times but from different vantage points and I, I phoned up the church leaders that time because I wasn't in church leadership and I was at a part of a community church again which believe in EEC and, and I said look I've had I had this this morning and I think it's God and, and they're like yeah okay well good for you and uh, <laughs> put the phone down because they because they didn't really know how to handle that kind of prophecy it wasn't on their radar um, and so I didn't really think much of it. So two weeks later, I was out with a friend. I don't know what we were doing. We were at the pub. I don't know why I was there, but uh, channel, there was like a big screen on, on, the, TV, on the wall and, and Channel 4 News was on. Uh, so it couldn't have been a great pub. I mean, who has Channel 4 News on in a pub? So, and at the, and at the, at the end of the, uh, the news was that mountain. And I was like, oh my gosh, that's, that's the, the mountain in my dream. And, uh, and I did some research into it. And... There's a village right next to the mountain and they uh, had the United Nations on the ground and they were monitoring to see if it was going to go, but they weren't really sure. But the villagers wouldn't leave the village because they used to get a person used to have visions from God who would tell them when it was going to blow and they would leave. But the guy had died. And I'm like, oh, this is this just can't be true. I mean, this is just this is this is madness. This isn't this isn't Christianity. I don't, I don't know what this is. Um, so I, I phoned up the Indonesian consulate. And, and I wrote to the United Nations and I, I must admit, I was shocked. I wrote to the United Nations who were on the ground doing the survey in the air. And I said, look, I said, I'd have dreamed from God. And this is what I believe is going to happen. The pyroclastic flow will come down this side of the mountain. It will wipe out the village. And they actually wrote back to me and said, we will take this warning seriously. And two days later, they abandoned the village. But two scientists remained in the village. And then two days after that, it exploded. The pyroclastic flow took out the village, killed the two scientists that decided to stay behind. Um, and, and that was kind of like my introduction to predictive prophecy. And so that saved about 160 people that day. And um, there's a sad side to this as well, which I'll mention in a minute. But the, um, so they, they, they were all OK. And then, and then about a week later, I was transported again to this mountain. And this time the earth screamed and the ground shook and I could see there was going to be an earthquake there. So again, I wrote to the United Nations and said, look, um, I had another dream. This time I saw that the earth screamed. There was like an earthquake and stuff. And then two days after I sent that, they had the biggest earthquake they'd ever had in the region around that, around that mountain. 
So that was, <laughs> that was kind of like my baptism of fire. Incidentally, Mount Merapi, it happened again, probably about, I don't know how many years ago, probably about eight years ago. And uh, again, wrote and said, you know, you need to warn the village that, that, that it, it will explode and it'll take out the village. But either no one got the warning or they didn't tell them and they, the whole village died, unfortunately. So, so that, was, that was a bit weird. And then another one I had was, I had this dream and in this dream, I was in a silver train. I'd never seen a silver train like this before. And I remember all the land markings as we're going around the coast. And, uh, and I looked out the window and I saw this tsunami wave coming straight towards me. And I knew I was going to die. And it hit the train and then everything went black and I woke up. And I had like another couple of dreams, which again confirmed that there'd be like some kind of tidal wave tsunami thing coming. And so that was two weeks before the Japanese tsunami. So I, I remember getting up early in the morning one day and I put on the TV just as it was literally happening. So just the first bit where they saw these boats suddenly go up in the harbour and they said, and then they had all the helicopters out filming it. Um, and then, so I took the day off work because just was like, I'd never seen anything like this before. And then it came on the news that they were looking for a train. They couldn't find where this train, they showed a picture of the train. It was exactly the same one that I'd seen in my dream. And I was like, oh my days. So I phoned up the Japanese consulate and I said, so I know you think I'm crazy. I said, but I've had a dream. Uh, and I said, I think I know where your train is. And I said, where on the coast it was. I said, it was by this big bridge. And it was just around this corner, just as the tide was coming in, it hit it. And, uh, and then uh, that night I, I slept with the TV on. It was about two o'clock in the morning. And I literally heard this sound like that in the room. And I woke up and there on the ticker tape live, I said, they've just found the train and they were showing all the footage of it. It was exactly where I'd seen it, where I said it was and, you know, and stuff like that. So this, this was kind of like my introduction to the realm of the prophetic. And, and there was no one I could talk to about this. It was just like, everyone just, oh, like, well, I don't know. There were prophets, but they just didn't want to touch me because it, again, it wasn't on their kind of, you know, that kind of thing. It just doesn't seem to happen. So they didn't really want to know about it. So whilst all this was going, God had been speaking to me for the last 20 years about the mother of all stock market collapses. Mm -hmm. And uh, he, in one of these dreams, I was walking down Canary Wharf. Now, I'd never been there before. And I, and I, I saw the buildings and I saw this particular building and, uh, and what it looked like. And then all of a sudden, without warning, it just collapsed. And then I could hear the BBC in my ear and they're saying, we're just waiting for the dust to settle to see what damage this has done for the economy. And then I was taken up in the spirit and I was flown over the land of Great Britain and it looked like it had been blitzed like during the Second World War. It was every house, every business, everything had been damaged by, by this bank that had went down. And so I don't even know if this was even a real place or a real thing. <coughs> so we, me and my wife, about uh, six months later, we took a trip to London, went to Canary Wharf and there was the building exactly as I saw it. I even know which bank it is. It's going to collapse first. And when that one goes, it brings down a domino thing across, 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 the, across the system. And around about that time, again, I was getting loads of warnings about economic collapse. And one night I was, uh, this is in, this is in 2007. So this is around about June, June, July time, June, July, August, yeah, so June. And, uh, and I was going to sleep and then there was an angel appeared in my room. I didn't see him, but he stood near me and he spoke audibly. And he said, on September the 18th, something's going to happen that's really bad for the UK economy. And I was like, oh, and as he said the words, they, they literally retina burnt into my eyes. So as I blinked, I could see the numbers and everything, September the 18th, so I wouldn't forget. Uh, and then he went. And this was three months before it actually, you know, before things triggered off. Mm -hmm. So I told all my church leaders, 
I gave everybody ample warning saying, look, this is what an angel's told me. Uh, and they're like, yeah, mate, you're crazy. Um, but, but I'd moved to Living Word at that time, just, uh, just, uh, just prior to that, and, um, which is another church now I, I lead. And, and the leader then said, well, okay, well, we'll just wait and see. Because they're more Pentecostal, where I'd come from, it was more evangelical, charismatic. And there is a difference, actually, because their whole mindset is different. The evangelical, charismatic t- tend to be amillennial in their theology, where Pentecostals tend to be more, not all of them, but tend to be a bit more premillennial in their theology, you know, all that kind of stuff. Um, but that has, a big, that has a big difference to your world mindset in respect to prophecy and all things like that. And it really does quite, quite change things quite radically. So he was like, OK, well, we'll just wait and see. And sure enough, September the 18th came. And that was, on that day, it was the beginning of when things started to collapse. Uh, and then you had things like Bear Stearns and various other things happened. I think you had the Icelandic bank collapse, um, actually on that day. Um, and then when in America in October, you know, we had the stock market collapse. Where it fell 777.77 points, which doesn't sound like much now, but back in its time, that was that was a big that was a big crash. Uh, and then we had in 2008 a long recession. But then God was still showing me that what you'd experienced was just a blip compared to what's coming. So, but I was surprised, if I'm honest with you, how long it's taken to go from like you know, from that first vision when that angel spoke to me to where we are today where you've got to bear in mind that the government have been doing quantitative easing for 14 years, which is basically just printing digital money, so to speak. Um, and, and that in all of living history has never been done. And any country that has tried printing its own money has suffered from hyperinflation. Uh, and we've been doing this on a worldwide scale for all this time. And now, because of where con- uh, inflation rates are going, they can't use those tools anymore. They've run out of tools. So they can't stop now what's potentially, potentially is coming. Um, and then another open vision that God gave me was this, this, he called it, it was called the golden age of the church. And I saw this big like graph on the wall and, uh, here there were all these dates, but they're all fudged out. So I couldn't see it. And I saw this like curve and it's, it was ever so slowly, painfully moving up. And then it just shot up. And this, this curve was representing the glory of God on the earth. To start with, it was like, it was hardly anything, you know, no power in the church, no power. And then it just started getting more and more and more powerful and it shot straight up. And at the top, it had the golden age of the church written, but it only lasted for a short period of time and then it just dropped completely flatlined. Um, and so in that, I knew, because you know, I was not really sure about the whole revival thing. You know, you get people going about revival, revival, revival. And you get some Christians like, where's revival in the Bible? Actually, it's everywhere. You know, but where's revival in, in respect to the end of days? Well, it says in jo- uh, Joshua, not Joshua, um, is it, um, which book is it? Which book is it? Sorry? Uh, no, the one that uh, said the sun shall go blood red. Oh, oh. Uh, it's, it's quoted in Acts. It's quoted in Acts. Joel. Sorry? Joel. Joel, that's it. Thank you. I began with J-H. So Joel. Joel 2 prophecy where he says in the end of days before, uh, before the great and terrible day of the Lord, i.e. before Christ returns, I will pour out my spirit on all flesh. So, and you might say, well, that was fulfilled in Acts, but it was only partially fulfilled in Acts because it was still not at the day of the Lord yet. Uh, and so that, that shows that there will be, before Christ returns, a massive push of his spirit. And why wouldn't he? Why wouldn't he? At the worst, darkest time of earth's history, why wouldn't he have mercy and grace to us? So, um, and then God was showing me uh, another time where um, I literally, I saw it in a dream and then I had an open vision where I saw it and touched it. And it was a football stadium. 
And it started with it had 18,000 people in it. And then I got a text saying, we've just grown to 24,500 people. It was a church. Oh. And I remember then, and then I touched it, physically touched it with my, and saw it and said, God, you know, who could be a part of something like this? You know, how can something like this ever happen? But in the dream, he showed me that in the future, when this revival comes, football stadiums, because they've gone bust, they won't be able to, they'll be selling them as churches, will be full of Christians, just as big meeting places and as even as churches. And this particular football stadium, which I recognize near where I live, will actually be a, like a local church where Christians are coming, you know, in their thousands and thousands. Um, so, so I've always been a passionate believer in revival. So all the things that God has shown me is, is, is this kind of uh, twisted metaphor. And he always says it will be the worst of times and it will be the best of times. Where we're going, it will be the worst of times. It will be the country will not be in a good place. Uh, the country will be actually going through quite a difficult time. And I'll go into that a little bit later in the, in the uh, shifting seasons prophecy. Um, but in that, it's in that dark place is when God will move. Now, when I studied revival history, um, I noticed that most major, like the really famous moves of God, uh, always proceeded an economic downturn every time. Um, and so we'll look at a few, we'll look at one of those in the second or third session when we look at prayer and revival and stuff as well. Look at actually in history, what has actually happened and how God's moved. Um, and so in 2018, um, again, then, so I've been a kind of like a pastor for all these years and had these visions. But when I became a pastor, it was almost like the prophetic gift kind of just switched off for a, for a good long season. It was almost like you just got to learn to be a normal pastor and just get on with your day to day job. You know what pastors walk the treadmill every single day <laughs> and just deal with stuff and, and you know, and, and, and get a heart. And that was it. Get a heart for the church. Because a lot of prophets don't have hearts for the churches. They were like, you're this and you're that. But actually, if you look at how God dealt with Israel in the Old Testament, he was like, yeah, look, guys, you're doing this. But my heart is that you wouldn't. My heart is that I want to bless you and prosper you, not to harm you. Um, and so having that pastoral heart to the prophetic has given me a, a different edge. And it gives me a, a sense of understanding of God's pain and compassion. For his church as well you know which i think is important so in 2018 uh, it was almost like it was time to switch the switch back on prophetically and um and i i was getting up to you know do a nice little cozy sermon and as i was getting up i just heard the words many many tackle passing and it had to do with brexit and it had to do with theresa may because theresa may had just that weekend gone to europe and it looked like she was going to fudge the Brexit deal, the, the Brexit, because we'd all vote, a lot of people voted to come out. And she looked like she was kind of do something that would kind of fudge that. And, uh, you know, fair enough. And, and I got up there, many, many take our passing. So I got up to the front and then for 45 minutes, I just prophesied in a way that I've not done before. And then I ended up prophesying, speaking things. That I have no knowledge of what I was talking about, uh, which through that has led me on this incredible journey, really. And um, on that night, God said quite clearly Brexit was going to happen. He said, Theresa May is done. Many, many tackle passing. It was talking about her, that she would be out because she's not done. I know this gets politically tenuous, but from what I believe God was saying was that he, he was okay with Brexit. Okay. So, so, and, and he was not happy with what Theresa May had done. So, so he, she had to go and, and literally, you know, within weeks, I think she was out. Um, and but in that prophecy that night, God was speaking very clearly about a coming revival, 
about a prayer movement across this nation, houses of prayer, even the restoration of monastic communities. Mm-hmm. So in the, in the Great Reformation, no, I wouldn't call it great, but in the Reformation, um, Henry uh, dissolved all those monasteries, but actually God wants them back because you know, the key to the church being in a place of power to do its mission needs the houses of prayer to empower the church to do its mission. Because churches aren't traditionally good at praying, but houses of prayer and communities of prayer are. But it's not one or the other. We need both, you see. Uh, and I believe God wants to bring a restoration of those things and a restoration of those ancient pasts. Now, people say, oh, the ancient past. But actually, that's specific and indigenous to Britain in a sense of the ancient church and how God's going to blend the ancient with the modern. Um, And so then in July 2022, I mean, God's given me lots of prophecies over the years which have gone out on my sort of YouTube channel and things. Um, But then, you know, when you've said something and, you know, after you've said it, like, that's going to get me into trouble. So I just knew when when I put that out on on YouTube on our channel, I just I just knew I thought that that is going to be the prophecy that's going to unfortunately define me one way or another. And uh, it kind of went viral and. I got a lot of hate mail for it. Um, you'll be surprised the things that people will say to you. Um, but, you know, I should expect it really. And, but it, it blessed a lot of people. But what was interesting was it, it, it wasn't like a new fresh word. It was like it just reconfirmed things that people deep down instinctively knew to be true. So it, uh, so it was an interesting word because people just immediately resonated with it or witnessed to it rather than it being, oh, we'll wait and see. And so I talked about a shifting season um, where the church is going to move into an autumn season. Uh, now, when I and we were just coming into, uh, then we were about a couple of months away from when I gave it, which was in July, moving into towards autumn. And I said, you know, God was saying that how the, the seasons are now going to shift and change. It's going to shift and change for the nation. It's going to shift and change for the church. Um, and in that, you know, like when, when we go from summer into autumn, it's not immediately noticeable, is it? You don't, it's, as soon as it hits autumn, the leaves don't just fall off the trees. It is a, is a process. And so there's a, there's, and that would be true of this spiritual season. Now, people thought I said that once we hit autumn, all this would happen. It's not what I said. I said we're coming into a spiritual season of autumn. Now, autumn is also traditionally a time of harvest as well in certain parts. So it's, it's a good season. But obviously, it's leading towards the winter. And, and I felt God was saying that this season is around about a 20-year window of opportunity for the church. And it's, but it's, it's going to be difficult for the church because in this place, she's going to have to make some tough decisions. Uh, and this is where you're going to see a little bit of the separating of the sheep from the goats in respect of the church. So you're going to see some radical topography shifting in the church as, as well, which will come. I'll just read a bit of it, um, and then I'll just break it down a little bit. Um, so... Uh, what you're going to see in the things of the world, you're going to see the systems of this world starting to fail. And you're going to see some incredulous things in these days. There is going to come things that will really shock the church. The Spirit said to me a little while back that there's something coming that is going to make the church reel and stagger with shock at what's coming. Um, and you're going to see a lot of churches over the next several years, unfortunately, close. Uh, and I believe in part that's the established churches that have left um, the orthodoxy of their own faith. Um, so you will see, but but God's given me a word, especially for the Church of England, a word of comfort and hope for her. I think you're going to see it come to a head before we see resurrection and we're going to see a wonderful resurrection. Because God, I genuinely believe God wants the established church to survive. I've had a lot of prophetic words about it. 
because it, we need that established church because it has the ear of parliament where other churches quite simply don't. Uh, and it's important and it's, and it's the only church that's actually um, watched over by the monarchy, so to speak, as well. So it's integral to our country and our nation. And spiritually, I think it's very important. Um, so we're going to probably see a lot of churches vanish over the next few years. And that will be A, because it's time for their candlestick to be removed or because of the economic problems that we're going we're gonna to move into. And again, as well, when we do in, in session three, this was a pattern that was happening also in the first Great Awakening and stuff like this in America. So this is nothing new, what we're seeing here. It's just new from our vantage point, but historically it's repeating itself. Um, uh, some may say, why are churches disappearing? And, and because, as Moses said to Pharaoh, let my people go. The, but the problem is, as the people, the Israelites, they left e Egypt, uh, the problem was even after the complete destruction of Egypt, Egypt was still in their hearts. They hankered to go back to Egypt. Why can't we go back to this? Why can't we do that? Why can't we eat the pots of garlic and stuff? Which doesn't sound that great to start with, to be fair. You know, why can't we go back? And so I felt God was saying two things that it's time for the church to come out of Egypt and it's time for Fair to say to Pharaoh, let my people go. And unfortunately with that, God is going to drive his people out in, because the wilderness is a place of transition, really. He's going to drive his people into the wilderness. And let's not forget, okay, I don't want to go in the wilderness. Let's not forget the wilderness was where the Ark of the Covenant and the tabernacle was built and God by a pillar of fire by night and a pillar of smoke by day. That incredible theophonic experience, the theophany is the presence of God. That incredible theophonic experiences of God 24-7. It was a, it, they saw things that had never been done before. They witnessed things that had never been seen before. They saw the parting of the Red Sea. They saw miracles that no one had ever seen before. So being in a place of transition can be a, an awesome place to be. It's also a time of testing because the, the wilderness is a time of testing because God is testing the hearts of his people to see who are they truly allied with. Are they allied with him or are they hankering for the things of Egypt? And so God wants to remove Egypt from his people's heart. And what God did to Egypt was he devastated the economy of that land. He devastated the military of the land. He devastated the religion of the land. God devastated it. Um, and now the Israelites are in the, uh, say, in the inn. I'm just trying to read my own transcript here, but I'm terrible when I speak. I'm all over the place. Um, anyway, so this, this new season, it's a wonderful season, but, when, but with it will come change and much consternation as you're going to see some things that are going to happen to this nation economically that are going to leave most Christians reeling in shock. But this is a message of hope. This isn't a message of doom and gloom. God is going to do some great stuff. And, I, and I'm going to get, all right, I'm reading my words here, get to that in a minute. Uh, from autumn this year, the season has changed. Everything will change. This is a complete new paradigm, both for the church and for the world. And of course, shortly after I gave this word, then the queen died and it was almost like, everything just began to change. Uh, and then we had a new prime minister again. Um, so she stepped down. Um, and so everything, everything was changing. And God gave me uh, a dream recently where all night I just heard the word uproar, uproar, uproar. And I saw all the people, the public all around the houses of parliament with slogans and uproar. They were really angry. And I saw the houses of parliament just collapse on itself. And I was like, why, why is this? And then I saw... The Conservatives and the Labour, I don't support either party, okay? Because people think, oh, you're pro-Tory, pro and I'm not, okay? That's, I'm just saying what I saw, no, 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 no bias here. But the Labour Party 
were, were up to some underhanded tricks to trigger a general election because conservatives were in free fall. So they tried to trigger a general election, but it backfired on them and it caused basically everything to come to a grinding halt that, the, that there was no government that could actually properly operate. It just came to a standstill and the whole thing just collapsed on itself. And then there was public uproar because things weren't getting dealt with, wages, etc., that should have got dealt with and they're not and people were angry. And, uh, and it was a warning that uproar is coming. But, uh, but I have, have had prophetic words also that from this rubble of the House Parliament, it's, it's a metaphor, it's not literal, will come a new government, one that will actually put this country first and the needs of this nation, and it will go back to more Judeo-Christian roots. It will scrap a lot of the nonsense that's on the statute books now, a lot of the, lot of the liberal stuff. This won't be a Christian government necessarily, but it will have godly values. Um, and, and, you know, Christians can get a little bit funny about politics in the sense of like, you know, oh, you know, that party, they're evil, and this person's evil, and that person's evil. Let's just, let's just wind it back to our Bible stories and our Sunday school days, yeah? Oh, Joseph, he worked for, the, for the, you know, the prince of Egypt. He worked for Pharaoh, you know, and he was this great man in Egypt. Now, hang on, let's just back up a bit. Okay, Joseph was married to Potiphar's daughter. Potiphar was the high priest, okay? So he was the leading pagan of, of the religion and he, he made him marry his daughter, right? Now, would you think if you saw like some real cool Christian in parliament but got, got to marry some top witch's um, daughter? I mean, how would you feel about that? You'd be like, oh, he ain't no Christian. You start, you start giving him what for. And now he's also working for the most powerful, evil, pagan ruler in the world. And then you get to Daniel. Oh, Daniel's such a lovely man, blah, 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 blah. Okay, he is working with, in a system that is the most evil, despotic system at that time known to man. Um, but he's a godly man and he's in that position of power and authority. So why am I saying this? So when you see these, this new government arise and you see Christians in there, but it's like, oh, well, it's not a Christian government. Actually, you really don't want it to be a Christian government. You want it to be, uh, and there's, there's theological reasons for that, which I'm not going to get into now, um, but, but it's probably best that the church doesn't get back into a theocracy type thing again, where the church rules the world, because I, don't, I think that, that will come when Jesus returns, but it's not going to come now. And so when you see these Christians in this new government, don't give them a hard time because they're like shaking hands with, with what you would call evil men and women, but actually... This is God's agenda. This is God's plan to help this country to come back to a place of strength. So, so in this change, in shifting seasons prophecy, uh, God gave me a, a few clear things. So I'm just going to try and wrap this up. So first one would be that Stonewall would fall. He's told me on several occasions that Stonewall will collapse. Um, when I first got given the prophecy of that, which I released about two years ago, the Stonewall prophecy, since that time, lots of organizations are now pulling out from supporting Stonewall. And uh, I believe that their financial support will just be cut because I don't know if you know this. No, I'm not going to say it because if someone heard this, it could get me into trouble. But anyway, it's, it's Stonewall. I've got fingers in places where they shouldn't have fingers uh, in pies where, where they shouldn't be in government. Um, and if you knew, you'd be, you'd be shocked. But I believe that God's going to deal a death blow to hyper-liberalism in our nation. We're going to see the economic systems of our land start to fall. You see, you think, why, why does God have to do this? Why do we have to do this? Why, why are God's have to be that extreme? Well, the reality is, um, 
you know, you could say, you remember Achan, he stole a bar of silver and he buried it in the ground, I think it's in the book of Judges. And all his family got stoned because of his sin. Because you see, unfortunately, the leaders of our country, if they make decisions, the nation suffers for their sins. Okay, this is just a, just a kingdom dynamic. It works in the natural world as well. And therefore, when we, when we bring in things into our schools, what we've done to children with gender politics and stuff and various other things that we've done. I just don't think you're going to get away with it. And, and there has to be a reckoning. But, but the reason why God is doing what he's doing is not because he wants to harm this nation, but because he wants to bring it around. My wife years ago had this dream and she saw this window and it was clothed out with black cloth and then God tore it. And he said, I'm going to tear away the veil of lasciviousness from this nation that it will see my glory. And it's only when this nation comes to a place where she realizes that she doesn't need to depend on her paycheck to get her through. But actually, she realizes I need God to get me through this. Um, that's why it will be the worst of times and the best of times. But as I'll say in, in session three, this is nothing unusual. This has happened lots of times throughout history and it's given us great revivals and given us as some people here from the AOG it's given us things like the AOG and, and various other churches that were born out of those things so it's all good stuff I told you about the government will will likely implode on itself um, God wants Egypt out of his people and thus uh, needs to tell uh, the powers of Egypt also to let my people go so the world has not a stranglehold but certainly influence over the church and that's going to be taken off her whether she likes it or not the problem is if the church has too much Egypt inside of her in her systems when this economic problem happens those churches will go down with it because there's too much Egypt in her um, so there's a good chance there's a good time to clean house both in ourselves and how we do things all that can be shaken will be shaken uh, the world will be shaken out of the church I uh, got this picture of like, you know, like a rag doll and just keep shaking it and all this dust coming out of it so that the worldliness will be taken out of the church. Um, uh, how, and also for a short season of time, you'll see an explosion in the house church movement because where many churches are closing down, well, Christianity has to carry on and it will look to the natural world like Christen Christendom has gone. It's like, yeah, she's gone. But actually, she hasn't. She's just under the radar. But, but those house churches are not going to stay house churches for long. They will grow and they will grow. And God showed me that then at the right time, it will come back above the ground again, bigger, stronger and better than it was before. And they will reconglomerate to make new churches. Now, these things might, you, the church where we're going to might look exactly the same in principle as the church we're in now. But what is the difference? The difference is that the people have changed. You see, people at this current time, I'm sure you as pastors and leaders, you see this a lot. There's an indifference to church. There's a, like, it doesn't really matter. I just come when I can, you know, whatever. And as for pastors and leaders, well, you know, who you're not the boss of me. So there's, it, there's this kind of lack of respect and lack of appreciation for the church. And God said to me, this is probably quite funny, but he said, when people go into those house groups, because some of them, this is what they've been wanting. Oh, if we could only go back to the first century church and go back to house churches. I've, God immediately gave me the picture of numbers when people said, oh, if we could only have quail to eat, or just give us some meat. Oh, I'll give you meat and I'll, I'll let you have your fill of it. And, and, and God was saying, you know, these people are going to be stuck in house groups where, you know, you've got um, Brother Joe 
and all he ever prophesies every week is God loves you. Uh, then you've got Aunt Flo over here and all she ever goes on about how it's the King James only Bible. And then someone else and he only ever sings the same song. And week on, week on, week on, week on, week on, week on. And you're going to like, oh, if only we could have a great Bible teacher. If only we could have some great worship again. If only we could be in those things that we hated, which are buildings. If only we could get back to, the, back to those things. And, and it will be when the church comes back up, they will like, like a breath of fresh air, like get me back into corporate meetings again. Again, give us good leaders. Give us, give us people that have got vision. Give us people that can preach the word and stuff like that. And, 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 and it will bring the church together in a whole new dynamic that will look as it does now, but the hearts of the people will be changed. Hallelujah. And I believe that through what God's shown me that he's leading the church to the golden age of the church. It will be the best of times and the worst of times. The golden age, it will be... You know, it'll be like the book of Acts again, but, but, but greater in many respects. Um, you know, I was speaking to some of you guys earlier and you were just saying about what happened during the charismatic renewal back in the 70s. I mean, if that happened today, we thought, man, that's, that's revival. But it wasn't. It was just charismatic renewal. But the effect that it had was, was, was phenomenal. You can imagine when God really moves in this country again, just what that will do for our young people, what it will do across this whole nation. It, it, will, just be, it will just be beautiful. Um, God will bring, this is another thing, this didn't go down well. I got, I got called the Antichrist because I'm trying to bring all the world's religions together. I didn't say that. I said I want uh, God's heart is to bring all the churches together, not world religions. That God wants to bring a unity to his church that goes beyond petty denominational biases and differences. Now you might think, well, you know, I, I have trouble with the Catholics or I have trouble with the Anglicans or what have you, you know, because of this, that, because that. But... <laughs> But I, 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 really, I really believe that God is going to put such, a, such a, 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 a hunger in us and such a love for our brothers and sisters that you won't care anymore about, about those, those things that divide us. And you might think, well, surely these are big issues. But I, I, and I, I don't know the answer to this, but I just somehow I know that, you see, John, Jesus prayed, sorry, in John 17, 1, Lord, make my church one as we are one. And we've done everything but keeping the church one. We've tried to, we've had the great schism in the year AD 1000. We had the reformation in AD uh, 500 years ago. And then since the reformation, we've now got 250,000 different denominations because we can't all agree with each other. It's ridiculous. And God's going to bring a unison and a unity back to his church. Also in this season, God, I believe, will not tolerate grumblings in his church, especially against godly leaders. Now I know that makes people a little bit uncomfortable, <laughs> There are good leaders and there are bad leaders and there has been bad leadership and I've seen it and I've witnessed it. I know why people get hurt by bad leaders and why, but there is again in our current society, there's this like negativity towards any kind of leadership, whether it's governmental or police or, or in the church. But God, where we're going is, is so precious. You know, you think, well, where's that in the Bible? Well, in the book of Acts. You know, when um, that, that Ananias and Sapphira come before and say, hey, yeah, yeah, this is the money. But they lied before the Holy Spirit and they, they dropped dead and it brought fear across the church. Fear isn't a godly fear. I also believe, I said, the politics of this land will change. We'll see a new party emerge that will have the interests of the country first, not their own political interests. And I believe as well, I'm just, just reading my points here. This is a season that will last for approximately uh, 20 years before I believe we move into a spiritual winter and God's given me visions and dreams about that, but that's for another season. Um, this, there will be a spiritual and financial famine, but God will be raising up Joseph's to help the church through these difficult times. So, you know, we're going to see 
people say on the next revival there won't be leaders, which is nonsense. Every, every move of God has had leadership and every, everyone has had you know, those great men and women of God. And there will be uh, men and women that will be raised up in this country as Josephs that will help lead the church through these difficult times and the world as well, the, 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 the heathens as well, through, through this difficult time as well. I'm nearly done. Uh, new leaders and leaders re-envisioned. Many will pass the baton at this time as they no longer feel able to help and lead the church into this time. Also, the old ways won't work anymore. The old wineskins, you're coming into a completely new environment. And so how you did things might not work anymore. But then things that used to work a long time ago, which don't work anymore, might work. You're, we're coming into like, it's, you know, it, we're coming into new territory. Um, and the last point was... Um, Jesus will use many, but he will also be using a Gideon generation, i.e. the misfits, the people who lap water like a dog, the weirdos, the unusual suspects. <laughs> I was one of those guys. I was the misfit. I was the one that the church leaders didn't like because I just didn't fit into the right, the right hole. God is raising up. You know, these are not, these are not people that are wild cards that are just going to create damage these are people that have gone through the crucible and have come out the other end mature but they're still not necessarily what you would call kind of mainstream but god's going to use all manner of people in wonderful ways the old the young everybody so i do believe and that's that's pretty much what i see for the uk over the next 20 years so wow.